Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Produce North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone, to our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. Last time, we read chapter 25, introducing us to Avigail, the wife of Naval, the Carmelite. Remember that Naval, scoundrel that he was, refused to include David in the celebrations at the sheep shearing, in spite of the fact that David and his men had looked out for the shepherds of Naval, had protected them from marauders, and were in a desperate situation. David had sworn revenge against Naval, if not for the timely intervention of Avigail, he would have carried out the bloody deed. But Abigail reminded him in no uncertain terms that if David were to become king, his kingship would be tainted by the bloodshed of killing Naval. No king should come to the throne by taking the lives of others who are not guilty of a capital crime. And so David relented. As a result, Avigail entered into the pantheon as one of the prophetesses of Israel, according to the rabbis in the Talmud that we saw last time. Eventually, Naval died prematurely, and David then took Avigail as his wife. And with that, the chapter ended. The next section begins with the report that Shaul had given Michal his daughter the wife of David, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Seemingly, this is an event that had already happened. It is stated in the past, but it is also mentioned now in order to highlight the fact that Shaul remains firmly on the warpath, and this act of vindictiveness ultimately is an attempt to cut down David and deny him any sort of support, certainly from Shaul's inner circle. Chapter 26 begins with the Ziphites. They are a Israelite people that live in the wilderness of the Negev, and they report to Shaul, David is hiding in Giv'at HaChachilah, Shaul descends with his 3,000 chosen men in order to capture David in the wilderness of Ziph. Shaul and his men encamp, and David, being in the wilderness, received the reports that Shaul was in pursuit. David sends spies and knows where Shaul is located. And effectively, what then happens is a very, very unusual encounter between David and Shaul, as we will shortly indicate. But the framing of the story reminds us very much of events that happened in chapter 24. There as well, David had been informed upon by the Ziphites, 
There as well, Shaul had pursued him with 3,000 men. In the end, Shaul was not able to capture him. And in chapter 24, if you remember, Shaul had entered the cave to relieve himself. And David, in spite of the fact that he had the perfect opportunity to dispense with Shaul and to kill him in his moment of vulnerability, chose not to do so against the protests of his own men. In the end, David called to Shaul after having cut his cloak and indicated to Shaul that in fact he did not kill him, although he could have. And in a very similar vein, the events of chapter 26 unfold. Shaul and his men are encamped. They are fast asleep, Shaul being guarded by his loyal warriors, chief among them of Ner, the chief of staff of Shaul. David challenges his men, Achimelech and Avishai, to accompany him on a raid into Shaul's camp. Avishai agrees to go with him, although it seems to be a reckless maneuver. But they arrive. Behold, Shaul was lying down fast asleep in the midst of the camp. His spear was pierced into the earth next to his head. Avner and the rest of the people were sleeping around him. Avishai says to David, this is your moment. This is the day that God had said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand. Let me strike down Shaul lethally. I will not need to repeat it. And David refuses, do not kill him, do not destroy him. Who has sent forth their hand against the anointed of the Lord and survived? David says, by God, it will be God who takes Shaul's life, not me. He will die in battle, or he will die when his day comes, or he will die whenever God will take his life, but I will not be the one responsible for sending forth my hand against the anointed of the Lord. Instead, let us take his spear and his jar of water and be on our way. And that's precisely what they do and they succeed in leaving the camp undetected. As the text reports, they were all asleep. A great slumber from God had fallen upon them. At this moment, David will leave the camp with Avishai, holding on to the spear of Shaul and his water bottle. He will make his way a distance and climb up a slope and cry out in the night, of Ner, he cries out, you are the man who is like you in Israel. Why have you not guarded your master, the king? Someone has come to kill your master, the king, and what you have done is not right. By God, says David, you are all deserving of death for not having guarded your master, the anointed of the Lord. Look, says David, his spear is gone his water bottle that was under his head. Shaul recognizes the voice of David and he says, Is that your voice, my son David? And David says, It is my master, the king. Why are you pursuing me? What have I done? 
listen to the words of your servant. If it is God who has incited you, then let him accept an offering. But if it is other men, let them be cursed before God, because they have driven me out on this day from being part of God's possession and said, go serve other gods. The similarities between the events of this chapter and chapter 24 are indeed striking. In both cases, the king is in a vulnerable state, whether relieving himself or fast asleep. In both cases, David will have to dissuade his loyal followers or follower from striking down the king with the claim that no one may stretch forth their hand against the Lord's anointed. And in both cases, David will take something from Shaul in chapter 24, the corner of his cloak, and in our version, the spear and the water jug, in order to make it absolutely clear that it was in David's power to harm or kill the king, but he chose not to. But there is, of course, one glaring difference, and that is why this episode is so critical. The glaring difference is that the chapter 24 version of the story was essentially an encounter between Shaul and David. Shaul had entered the cave to relieve himself, which meant that he was seeking privacy and seclusion. None of Shaul's men were around, none of his warriors, none of his supporters, none of his chieftains. In our story, it is precisely the opposite. Shaul sleeps in the midst of the camp, surrounded by, by his most trusted followers and warriors, chief among them, of Nair, his own cousin. And that is the point of David's daring entry into Shaul's camp. It is to highlight, not only to Shaul, that David wishes him no harm, but also to indicate beyond a shadow of a doubt that the men who are surrounding Shaul are not taking care of their master for one simple reason. Shaul has become their puppet, and they are manipulating him to their own ends, and that is what David wants to indicate when he cries out to Avner and he says, you have not guarded your master the king, which is true. In the aftermath of this moment, Shaul will cry out, is that in fact you, my son David? Is that your voice? And David will say, indeed it is. Shaul will say, Chatati, I have sinned greatly. Come back, David, I will not harm you anymore. Because you regarded my life as precious in your eyes, I have been so incredibly foolish. David knows better than that. He will not return to Shaul, but he will indicate beyond a shadow of a doubt that left to his own devices, Shaul, in fact, could have been reconciled with David. There is one reason why Shaul continues to pursue David at all costs, as David indicates, and that, because, that is because the people around Shaul are manipulating him to do so. 
for a very obvious reason. As long as Shaul remains king, Avner, his cousin, will remain chief of staff. If David becomes king, all bets are off. So it is in the interests of Shaul's inner circle, all of them, in all probability, members of his own tribe, to ensure that Shaul's kingship continues no matter what. And in order for that to happen, Shaul must neutralize David, or they must neutralize David for him. And that's precisely what David wants to broadcast and to highlight that, in fact, Shaul, the king of Israel, is hostage to the people around him, chief among them of Ner. David responds to the king's overture. He sends the spear and the water bottle back into Shaul's camp. One of Shaul's servants fetches it. And David says, God will deal justly with those that have acted. I could have killed you today, and I did not do so. So too may God preserve my life as well. Shaul concludes the last verse of the chapter, Blessed be you, my son David. You will surely succeed. You will surely achieve. David went his way, and Shaul returned to his place. This will be the final meeting between these two men. And in this final meeting, it is quite clear that Shaul takes blame and responsibility for what he has done, although he does ascribe it to what he refers to as foolishness and mistaken intentions. And as I pointed out, if we imagine for a moment that Shaul realizes that in fact the people around him have manipulated him, it's quite possible to understand how he is able to express that conclusion. But sadly, there will not be reconciliation between these two. And in fact, in chapter 27, David indicates that he knows it is not possible for Shaul to change course. And therefore, David comes to an unmistakable conclusion and a difficult one that in order to survive, he must actually flee to Philistine territory because Shaul will no longer seek to capture him if David has turned himself into the Philistines. And sure enough, David and his 600 men go to Achish, the son of Maoch, the king of Gat. Now you may remember back in chapter 21, David had also fled to Achish, but that had been as an individual in an incredible moment of impulsiveness. And as soon as he got to Achish and to the Philistines, he realized what a terrible error it was. But this time, David and his men, because now he's surrounded by 600 loyal followers, make a conscious decision to go to Achish, king of Gat, and effectively to swear their loyalty to him. It is a dangerous maneuver on David's part. On the one hand, he will succeed in escaping Shaul's clutches. On the other hand, he may be branded by his own people as a turncoat and a traitor. 
Achish receives David and David's men. And David convinces Achish to allow him and his men to have their own territory that they will be responsible for, the area of Tziklag. And in fact, Achish's hope is that David will be able to secure that area from the marauding tribes and the Israelites in the territory so that they don't threaten the Philistines. David remains in Philistine territory for a year and four months. And during that time, David conducts raids against the Gishuri, the Gizri, the Amaleki, non-Israelite marauding tribes that David overruns and strikes down and takes booty from them and completely massacres. As the text reports, David doesn't want a single survivor, man or woman, to live in order to report to Achish in Gat what David is really doing, which is to say the following. Achish is assuming that David is attacking his own people. But in fact, David is doing anything but. He is attacking his people's enemies. So this is the impossible situation that David is in a double jeopardy, as it were. On the one hand, insofar as Shaul and the Israelites are concerned, he is a traitor to his people. And that's, in fact, how Achish understands the situation, hoping that the day will come, as Achish says at the end of chapter 27, he will completely reject his own people Israel and be my servant forever. So on the one hand, David presents himself as a traitor and a turncoat to his own people in order to win the support of Achish and to secure safety for himself and his men. And on the other hand, David is anything but a traitor because the peoples that he attacks, he's, he's, he is, after all, expected to attack by Achish and to produce booty from his campaigns, the people that David attacks are actually enemies of the Israelite tribes. And so David continues to be in this situation for quite a lengthy period of time until the time for the final battle arrives when the Philistines will face down Shaul, as will be reported in the coming chapters. So you might say this is the end, just about, of David's fugitive phase. He has spent an awful lot of time running away from Shaul in the wilderness, in unfamiliar territory, in inhospitable lands, avoiding being turned in and being informed against, and sometimes having to fight for his life, that period is now coming to an end with the relative safety afforded to David by living among the Philistines, as ironic as that sounds. But this new phase is perhaps even more dangerous. So next time we will follow the story as David now gives way to the final battle between the Philistines and Shaul. Before we get there, we have to read the rather mysterious and unsettling chapter 28. 
Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.